Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries podcast. This podcast is the central hub for all audio publications of East Memorial Baptist Church out of Prattville, Alabama. So grab a pen, paper, and your copy of God's Word, and let's study God's truth together. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews. We began last week, and I'm not sure we'll get through this week with looking at the urgency of salvation. I want to say that when it comes to salvation and things of God, we've lost a sense of urgency in our world today. It's almost like uh, we function off of the motto of why do today what can be put off until tomorrow. And so it sort of sounds like homework, amen? It's not homework. Sort of sounds like uh, me, especially in the first years of our marriage. My wife would ask me, Glenn, can you take out the garbage? My immediate response was, now? Which very clearly said, I don't want to right now. But again, we come to salvation. There's something more than taking out the garbage or doing homework or doing a project around the house. There's an urgency when it comes to salvation, and I want to give you from the Word of God why it is extremely important that if you hear the voice of God, that you do not say no. And when I say the voice of God, what I'm speaking about is the conviction by the Holy Spirit through the preaching and the reading of the Word of God that brings conviction into the heart that you need Christ, that you need forgiveness, that you are the sinner, that you have sinned against God, and that you are at enmity with God because of your sins. In Hebrews Again, we pick back up a little bit in chapter 2, and I don't have time to read the entire passage this morning, but I just want to go back in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says this, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the Word, the Word spoken through angels proved unalterable, And every transgression and every disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders, by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. And then you look over in chapter 3 and we pick up in verse 7. The, the Bible says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me in the day of trial in the wilderness. And again, you pick it up in verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, 
so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as, the, as when they provoked me. Down in chapter 4, verse 1, therefore let us fear while a promise remains of entering his rest. Any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us. Just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them. Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Again in verse 3 he says, For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. And again, he fixes a certain day. What day? Not yesterday, perhaps, and not tomorrow, but today. Saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As we look at this passage, and again, we have to stress the importance of today. Again, yesterday is gone. Tomorrow's not here. There are two things, and I don't know if I'll have necessarily time to, to really expound on that this morning, but we will get there. But two things in major that I want you to understand about today. First of all, there is no guarantee of tomorrow. There is none. And I will say and remind all of us, death, though we do not know when it's going to come. It may come suddenly. It may happen that you are diagnosed with a terminal disease. But death is going to happen. Just like Brother Joe used to say, survey says 10 out of 10, die. And so that's a given. We are going to die. And we don't know when or where. For some, and I will just again say as a pastor, there have been those who have had a stroke to never regain consciousness. There are those who have had a heart attack. They were dead before they hit the floor. And there's been those who have been in automobile accidents. Whatever the case may be, but death is coming and you have no guarantee of tomorrow. But I think that there's something that's even more pressing and more important than even death. Because you know you're going to die. I know that I'm going to die. The, the, only, the only question is when or perhaps how. But I want to say something else that I believe that is more important, that has more weight that carries with it. Because when God says, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, and what is that voice going to say? I'll tell you what the voice is going to say. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that includes me. It includes you. All have sinned. That means all are condemned. Because in that same epistle, the word of God says the wages of sin is death. So every human being has the sentence of death. And the picture that we know is this. Everybody dies. 
There's nobody that's 150, 200 years old, or 2,000 years old. Everybody dies. That's reality. The wages of sin is death. Physical death is a picture. It is type of spiritual death of which one will live eternally. You're alive, you will remain alive forever. At conception is when life begins. At conception, life will continue from now on. The only question is, where will it exist? When you take your last breath, the only question that makes any difference is the where. And that is dependent upon what you have done with Christ in accordance to the word of God. So it's just that, listen, we're all going to die. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. And that death is described to us in, in large measure, in detail, by Christ himself in a dark place, a place that is bottomless, and a place that is on fire. Three of the things that man in his flesh is most concerned about, and I'll use the word fearful of, falling bottomless, fire, and ultimate darkness. And there are many people who have a head knowledge, and they listen to sermons, and they are brought to the precipice, and they think because they some way, somehow acknowledge that that means they're okay. That that knowledge some way equivocates into salvation. That that knowledge and acknowledgement means that they are Christian. I just want to remind you, James says, you believe that there is one God, you do well, the demons believe and tremble. You see, Satan has no trouble with believing that there is a God. He has no trouble in believing that Jesus is God and that Jesus went to the cross and he rose again. The devil believes all those things. And you understand that as you look at the New Testament, there were a couple of occasions when there were those who were demon-possessed. One person in particular that lived amongst the Gadarenes, he was known as the demoniac who lived amongst the Gadarenes. And he was a frightful figure in the pages of Scripture. And the Bible says that when Jesus got out of the boat in the region of the Gadarenes, that this demon-possessed man came running up to Jesus, bowed before Christ, and acknowledged who he is. And he said, Son of God, hast thou come to torment us before the time? And Jesus asked him his name. And he said, It is legion, for we are many. It is understood that maybe as many as 7,000 demons dwelled inside that individual. Unbelievable. But as we look at this, you know, is it, is it just a matter of knowledge. I want to give you a quote here from J.C. Ryle. Listen to this. We must never forget that all the education a man's head can receive will not save his soul from hell unless he knows the truths of the Bible. I want to say that one more time. You can have all the education. You can have all the accomplishments that this world offers and still be lost. Listen to this. We must never forget that all the education a man's head can receive will not save his soul from hell unless he knows the truths of the Bible. So as we look at this, and we see in Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 7, it begins with this. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, 
You see, it begins with a quote, and that is a quote, if you would, the following verses there, and you'll find it in block form in most of your Bibles. It's a quote out of Psalm 95, verses 7 and 11, but then what we find here in Hebrews chapter 3 and also in chapter 4, it, is found, it finds its way and finds its basis out of Exodus 17 when the people of Israel grumbled because there, weren't, there wasn't water there in the wilderness and also in Numbers 14 when Moses sent spies into the promised land for them to enter. Now it's noted, listen to this, and it's introduced by the statement in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, and this we may not pick up on, but I need you to see this. It says simply and begins with, as the Holy Spirit says. What is that saying? Well, it's telling us that the writer of Hebrews regards Scripture as being the voice of God. There are people that want to say, well, I heard a word from God. Really? Where'd you hear that word from? Or somebody will say, I got a word from God. Really? Where'd that word come from? You know, the Bible makes it very clear that one is living very dangerously if they subtract from the word of God and also if they what? Add to it. We need to be strict adherence to what the Word of God says. And we need to let God say what God says. And we need to understand that God says what He means and means what He says. And so it's very clear. And somebody says, well, you know, there are a lot of different interpretations. Time out. No, that's not true. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, you know that the Bible makes it very clear that the Word of God is not a matter of one's own private interpretation. God can't be right. All, in all these various interpretations. No, you, you got to understand. You got to look, you got to study, you got to know what God was saying when He said it to the people He was saying it to in the context of where they are. But the Bible makes it very clear right here in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7 that God says, that when you read the Scripture, when you regard the Scripture, and when you listen to Scripture, you are hearing the voice of God. As a matter of fact, can I just remind you what 2 Timothy 3.16 says? All Scripture is, listen to this, God-breathed. And the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy and also in 2 Timothy that men wrote as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. So you want to know what God says? You got it. There it is. And what you need to do if you want to hear from God you need to read and see what God says. And just like what we talked about in the Bible study class this morning, and it goes back to, listen, to, to an old hymn. I, I kind of I said to my Sunday school class this morning, the only hymn I ever learned to play, the right hand and the left hand, I always had trouble with the left hand, taking piano. I hated piano. I hated taking it. And I'll tell you right now, I wish I'd loved it. I wish I could sit down and play the piano. I used to sit down in some, in, in many years ago, decades ago, and I used to sit and I'd get the old hymn book out and I would pick out the tune, one finger, at a, and, and doing the old hymns. Loved, loved doing it. I wish I had listened to my dear mama 
and took piano. But the only hymn I ever learned to play with the left and the right hand was trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust what? Trust what he says. Obey what? What he has clearly commanded and taught in his scripture. But you're not going to know it unless you read it. You're not going to know it unless you obey it. And I like what Adrian Rogers had to say many years ago. It, you, the more you obey, the more you're going to know. The more you know, the more you're going to obey. It's like we don't start off with calculus. No, you got to start off with basic math. Is that, is that, is that a fair assessment here? You, you don't start off at the higher. You know, you start off here and learning the elementary things. But every scripture is breathed by God. Now notice what it says in chapter 3 in Hebrews, verse 7. It says here, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says. Now, the word says, and by the way, this is all intro, okay? Let's just, we, we may not get past intro today. But the Holy Spirit says. That is in, in, the, in the Greek language, that is in the present tense. Meaning he, that is the Holy Spirit, is speaking now to those who are reading or listening. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit says. Again, you got to go back. Words mean something. And in the original language, the tense in which they're given, it means something, has implication, has impact. And so the Holy Spirit is saying today, to those who read and to those who are listening, just like the Holy Spirit was saying through the written word to those that Peter wrote to or whoever wrote Hebrews, not Peter, but, but Hebrews there. But the Holy Spirit says, it's in the present tense. Now listen to this, three things real quick. The Holy Spirit speaks in Scripture. Secondly, the Holy Spirit spoke through Scripture to the author's original audience. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit speaks to God's people today through this text when they read these words. Now, there's an example I want to give you from the pages of Scripture. Because everybody's always wanting something. You remember, remember when Jesus walked on the face of this earth? How, how many people did he heal that he came in contact with? Not a trick question. I'm, everybody. Everybody, everybody they brought. He was eradicating sickness. The lame walked, the blind could see, the dumb and the deaf. He healed them. Those who were demon possessed, he cast out their, those who had withered limbs, they grew back. Those who had been paralyzed their entire life, they got up, took their bed and went home or presented themselves to the priest. He, listen, he eradicated sickness. And, and then you've got those that came along and said, uh, we would see a sign. A sign? Uh, how many other people you've seen do these things? What kind of sign? No, what they were wanting was something like, let's just turn the moon red. Let's stop the sun. Or let's just make the sun go back and forth like this. Let, let's just do something very outlandish. But the word of God makes it very clear that he performed sign. Uh, uh, by the way, he raised a few folks from the dead, which is another picture of type what happens to the believer. The dead come to life. But they wanted signs. They wanted something more. And, uh, and so it is that people look for signs. 
Just read the word of God and let God speak. But I want you to turn to Luke 16 with me. Luke 16, Jesus tells us of a rich man and Lazarus. Now, this is not Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. This is a different Lazarus. But it's a story of a rich man. He was filthy rich. Had no cares of this world. Whatever he wanted, he got. Whatever he wanted to do, he did it. This was an extremely wealthy individual. And so much so that there were people like Lazarus who just wanted to to eat the crumbs that fell from his table and that's what kept him alive. Can you imagine being so wealthy that you could keep beggars alive that just fed off the crumbs of your table? Probably had to fight with the dogs to get what he got. And the Bible says that Lazarus was just, he was a pitifully poor person, beggar beyond, beyond anything that you and I can conceive today in this world in which we live. By the way, went to Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we've always seen homeless people, but nothing like what we saw when we went this time. Now, in our world and culture, not always, but I've got to be careful that I don't sound callous here, but there are so many avenues for someone who is homeless to be dressed and fed and have shelter. There are many government programs, and there are many places in which you can go and have food. As a matter of fact, some of the folks that live on the streets receive government checks every single month that help them. And what the government checks do in many instances is pay for the drugs or pay for something else, but they choose to live on the street. Well, in this society, in this time frame, for someone to be homeless and for someone to live on the street and for someone to be a beggar, it went far beyond anything of what you can imagine anywhere. Now, there are some that have fallen on hard times, and it's legitimate. But in large measure in our country today, people that live like that, that's a chosen lifestyle. There are many avenues, and I'm sure that it's just as sure as I'm saying this, there's going to be somebody who's going to correct me. Now, I didn't say everyone. I'm saying that in large measure in this country today, with all the things that are in place, somebody, you don't have to live like that on a regular routine basis. In this time frame, to be a beggar was to be destitute beyond anything that you could imagine in this world today. And society in general did not pay that much attention to those. It's just, oh, well, that's who they are. Now, listen to this. The Bible says that in due time, the rich man dies and goes to hell. He says, it says he goes to a place of great torment. Lazarus dies and goes to Abraham's bosom, which is a euphemism in Judaism or Jewish culture that time frame for heaven. It's not some other kind of holding place. No, Lazarus died and went to, went to heaven. The rich man died and went to hell. Now, you've got to understand that Scripture in its totality, somebody will say, well, see, there rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. No, that's not what this teaches. And so you've got to understand that the rich man is re- 
reflective, if you would, of the, what Jesus had to say. It is harder for a rich person to go to heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Why? Why is it difficult for rich people to be saved? Because you got to come to the end of yourself. You got to recognize that you are a worm. And what in the words of the Old Testament in the Psalm, you got to realize that you are a sinner, that you are helpless and hopeless before a righteous, holy, and eternal God. And I'll just be honest with you rich people, for the most part, they don't get to that place because they are accustomed to getting what they want, when they want it, and the way they want it. And uh, they're, you, they're accustomed to ordering people around. Now, he didn't say no rich people. He said not many rich people. But I'll tell you this as well. The bi- just because Lazarus as a poor man went to heaven doesn't mean that all poor people are going to heaven. No, because poor people are going to have to get to the place where they realize they're helpless and hopeless and destitute and in need of a Savior just like everybody else. Now, you tell me, out of those two categories, which one is more likely to acknowledge their helplessness and their hopelessness and their destitution before the living God and cry out unto God to save them? Which one? The poor person, the destitute, the beggar. And in the words of Christ... The tax gatherer, the prostitute, they will be in heaven before the self-righteous. So in this story the Lord tells of rich man and Lazarus, rich man dies and goes to hell. And the crux of the story, he's in such agony in verse 24 that he cries out and said, Father Abraham, which again is a euphemism for Lord. And he says, have mercy on me and send Lazarus and just let Lazarus go get one little drop of water on the tip of his finger and come and relieve this torment that I'm in. Just one drop of water, that's all on the tip of my tongue, just one drop. It's so terrible. It's so agonizing. You know, part of the thing is in this story that is that the rich man has a fully informed conscience through it all. He's aware he's still got brothers alive on the earth, and he doesn't want them to come there. And I'll tell you something else. Every once in a while, some braggadocious, prideful, arrogant person said, yeah, I know I'm not going to heaven, but at least I'll be down in hell having a good time with my friends. No, you won't, know, you won't know anything except you're in torment. But the, 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 the awareness, first of all, is that Lazarus is in heaven. He's also aware that he's got brothers alive on the earth, and he doesn't want them to come where he is. And I'll, as you look at this, he's, he's not having a good time, folks. See, we, we get to the place where we've dressed up. It's kind of like going to a funeral. You know, there's many flowers around and we embalm and everything else. And we kind of got gloss over it. No, death is not pretty. And eternal death is even worse. We've we gotten to the place where we don't talk like talking about hell, torment, punishment. We, we, we just don't hear much about that. Somebody said, well, I just don't think you ought to try to scare people out of hell. Listen, if I could scare you out, I would do it in a heartbeat. Because I'd much rather you go to heaven than go to hell. He's in agony. He's in torment. Now listen to what it says. And uh, skip on if you would. And so uh, down to verse, verse 26. 
And he says, uh, Father Abraham, or the Lord says in verse 26, he can't come and do that because there's a great chasm that's fixed. And nobody can go from heaven to hell or hell to heaven. And this business that people think that you can go and suffer a little bit and then go to heaven, that's all baloney. That's all made up. That's not in the Bible. It is fixed. And it is fixed when one takes their last breath. And it's all predicated on what you have done with Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Verse 27, I beg you, Father, send it to my Father's house. Verse 28, you you can hear the agony in the language here. I've got five brothers. I need somebody, anybody, somebody to warn them so they don't come to this place of partying. No, oh, wait a minute, it doesn't say partying, does it? Verse 28, last word, place of what? Torment. It's happening, it's going on. When does it ever stop? It never does. Verse 29, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. What is, what is he saying here? What, what is Moses and the prophets? It's the Old Testament. That's the law and the prophets. They've got Moses. They're alive. They've got Moses and the prophets. Notice what he says. Oh, verse 30, he said, no, Father Abraham, But if someone were to come from the dead, they will repent. Lord, grandma, send grandma. Grandma died. They they know grandma was a believer. Send grandma or or send somebody else. Hey, send Elijah, Moses. Send somebody from the grave, somebody that's gone on way. Send David. Send somebody. And surely they'll believe. Verse 31, listen to this. You got to understand. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the Old Testament. By the way, there is a very well-known and popular contemporary preacher that says we've got to unhitch the New Testament from the Old Testament. Jesus was surprised to hear him say that. I shouldn't use the word. The Lord's never surprised. But is that what we're supposed to do? You know it's not. He says in verse 31, do not, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. You know, I know someone that bases their salvation coming home, probably having drunk a little bit, and they saw a light in the cemetery where there was not supposed to be any light. And so somehow or another, they saw a light in the cemetery and they had an emotional experience And for decades, they're basing their entrance into heaven on seeing a light in a cemetery. You say, that sounds silly, doesn't it? Well, it is silly. It is. But you know, people are like that all over the place. They're basing their salvation on some kind of emotional experience they had somewhere along life's journey. They never get to the place where they repent, believe, and keep walking with Christ and growing in Christ. Scriptures speak, and the only thing that makes any difference, are you a believer? 
I want to share something with you. Adrian Rogers said this, listen to this. Sometimes when you witness, a man may say, yeah, I used to go down to that church. I guess you could call me a back, old backslider. <laughs> Adrian says, he's not a backslider. He's as lost as a goat. No backslider says, I'm just an old backslider. If you know God and you've been saved, his spirit has come into you and the Holy Spirit in you is grieved when you sin. You don't laugh about it and make jokes about it. I want to tell you the most miserable person on earth is not a lost person. It's a saved person. It's a saved one out of fellowship with God. Then he writes this, God will carry you to the woodshed when you sin. One way you will know that you are truly his is that your sin bothers you. It grieves you, or better said, it grieves the Holy Spirit residing in you. Let's go back to Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, this is God speaking. This is God's word. Again, I'm a mouthpiece, nothing more. This is not the gospel according to Glenn. This is the gospel according to the Holy Spirit. We come back face to face with chapter 2 and verse 3. How will we escape? The rhetorical answer is there is no escape. There is but one way, and that's by way of the cross. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, verse 13, verse 15, and again in chapter 4 and verse 7, you'll find the words today, today, today. Again, we go back. Well, I'm not sure about whether or not I'm ready. If you're convicted of sin and you're convinced that Jesus is the only way, today, in the words of Christ and the words of the Spirit and the words that are written for us on the pages of Scripture, today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. Let's just be honest. There's some urgency here. And the real urgency is not impending death. The real urgency is that your heart is being hardened if you hear his voice and say no. So that tomorrow, if you hear his voice, it's going to be a little fainter and it's going to be easier for you to say no. And then what happens later on in Hebrews you are guilty of trampling underfoot the blood of Christ. And then the Lord says this later on. How much severer punishment. I'll just say this, you know. I'll just, I'll just use me as an example. To the best of my knowledge, I don't ever recall my daddy ever telling me something are ever calling me and me saying, no! Audrey, your mama said it's supper time. Tell her I'm not coming. Whoa, next time I heard the voice, it would have been a lot closer. (laughs) 
Can you just imagine? We, we think we, it's a little humorous in human terms. And you've heard me say, uh, I, I don't recall ever telling my daddy, no, but no. What, how, don't you know how to spell no? I wouldn't be here today. But how many times a day does God speak to the human heart and bid come and man reject the call, reject the voice of God? And the Bible says in Thessalonians, matter of fact, just turn back to Thessalonians for a moment. You say, which one? I'm not sure. The Bible says, I believe it's 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. It's all one sentence, so I have to, I have to read in verse 8. Then that lawless one will be revealed when the Lord will slay them with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Why are they perishing? Why are they going to perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Why? In verse 12, it says, In order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth. Why didn't they believe the truth? Because they took pleasure in wickedness. They weren't willing to give up their sin. They chose sin over salvation. And that's the same thing. That's the call. If you hear his voice, what voice? The voice of salvation, the voice of the gospel, the voice of God that says repent and believe. You'd rather hold on to your sin and the so-called temporal pleasures of sin. There's an urgency. You got to make a decision whether or not you're going to trust Christ and follow him or you're going to reject him. And I will just say, and just by way of a reminder, who gave Jesus the greatest resistance when he walked on the face of this earth? Who was it? Who gave him the greatest resistance? Who was it? Not a trick question, y'all. Who was it? Who? Who was it, y'all? Who was it? The religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, those that thought surely they were going to heaven, they were the ones that the people thought surely were going to heaven. They were the ones that gave him the greatest resistance. Along with the Sadducees, they are the ones that cried out and incited the crowd to cry out, crucify, crucify. They held on to their self-righteousness. There's no halfway decision here. What's your choice today? 
What is your choice? You know, it's interesting to note that in, in Joshua, he presented before the people that they needed to choose. And a lot of you have that on a placard in your home. As for me in my house, we what? We will serve the Lord. Are you serving him? Are you? I'm telling you, there's urgency here that I think we've lost in the church. We've lost. And we've lost the idea of how severe hell is and how glorious heaven is. You, nobody else, just you. Not your spouse, just you. What is it? Are you saved? Are you saved? Let's pray together. We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook. Email us at info at eastmemorial.org or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.